This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today, we're talking about what my child thinks about God. And we're talking about uh, a dad's role in that. The presence in the home, the participation in the home, and the picture that we're painting uh, for our children of their Heavenly Father. And here's all I know. I want my kids to know that I love them. I'm for them. I want the best for them. I'm not going anywhere. I'm fighting for them. And I would die for them. And the reason I want my kids to know that is more importantly, I want them to understand there's a God who loves them. He is fighting for them. He is for them. He's not going anywhere. He will never leave nor forsake them. And he sent his son Jesus to die for them so that they can be reconciled to their heavenly father. They can be reconciled to their heavenly father. They can become part of the family of God and they can know their role in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about. That's the gospel message that goes out. There's a God who loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you can be in a relationship with him and be a part of the family of God and know your place in the kingdom of God. And so today we're talking about my role, your role, dad, in painting that picture. But we're also asking you to consider uh, what picture was painted for you uh, uh, as you were growing up. And here's all I know with my kids. Um, you know, this, when I get up in the morning and get dressed and present myself to my family and then to the world, this is what I think I look like. I, I think I'm pretty cool. How many dads are with me on that? I think, I'm, I think I've got it going on. Uh, and, but this is really what my kids see when I present myself uh, to them. <laughs> Look around right now at all the salmon-colored dads, uh, the salmon shirts that are wearing. Uh, but let's go back to the other one. You know, the more I look at the, the, you know, the Fonz, I think it's a, he looks cool, but he also looks homeless. Let's be real honest. He looks like he's struggling financially. When I go back to this one and I see Henry, I'm like, you know what? His 401k is doing real nice, okay? And that's the smile on his face. And I, one of the things I love about being a dad is embarrassing my children. Can I get an amen on that? It, it become, the older I get, the more I enjoy it. I can't understand it. But my wife has a silent patriotic laugh. When she finds something funny, she places her hand over her heart. She leans forward and nothing comes out. (laughs) And I get that from her multiple times a day. That's a true story. But the more I make Amy laugh, I am finding the more I irritate and frustrate my children. And, And that's the joy of a dad joke. The cringier the dad joke, the more it frustrates your children, but the more joy it brings to your home. I can't fully understand how it all works, but I want to share some of my favorite dad jokes with you. And dad, don't leave me up here. Band of brothers, join with me in laughing at this and watch your kids roll their eyes. This is our day. This ain't our kids' day. This is our day, okay? I tell dad jokes, but I don't have any kids. I'm a faux pas. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling with these K to get everybody in the mood. Why do melons have weddings? Because they can't elope. <laughs> Come on. That's awesome. All right. What's the most detail-oriented ocean? The Pacific. <laughs> oh, we're losing steam here. Let's keep going. Rest in peace, boiled water. You will be missed. And, you know, this is on the screen, but I always love when you have to explain a joke afterwards to your kids. It makes it even worse. How about this one? I'm so good at sleeping, I can do it with my eyes closed. And where do dads keep all of these jokes? 
in a database. <laughs> Come on. I'm awesome and I don't care what anybody else says about it. That's, I actually, I heard a great one this week. A guy said, yeah, I told my wife that she painted her eyebrows too high and she seemed surprised. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that was a good one. <laughs> I'm looking around. Look at, look at Sam Watson. Can we move on with the gospel, please? Yes, we're going to move on with the gospel. And let me get an amen on this, Dad. This is true. I am not a perfect father, but I have a perfect heavenly father. Whew. And I get, I don't have perfection, but today we're talking about the fact that I'm a reflection in my home of the perfect heavenly father. Dad, you are a reflection of the Heavenly Father. And that's why your presence and participation in the home matters. You're not always going to get it right, but we stay engaged. Why? Because we want our kids to know, I love you. I'm for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'd, I'm fighting for you and I would die for you. I want this to be a constant reflection of what they know about God. And here's what we know from my words and actions, from your words and actions. A father's words and actions are like brushstrokes of a picture he's painting of our heavenly father. And when I've been, I've been diving into Paul's letters the last few weeks, uh, and, and just watching and, and even feeling his pain, when he has to explain to the church, when he has to explain to people who are new in the faith why he's doing what he's doing. Explaining to them that not, he's not just going to present the gospel, that God loves you, he sent his son Jesus to die for you, you can have a relationship with him, be reconciled to him. This is the gospel that he presents everywhere he goes. And yet his motives are questioned. And he has to spend time explaining to them, this is why I am doing this. And as I've been reading that as a dad lately of a 16-year-old and a soon-to-be 18-year-old, how many of us understand often as parents, we have to explain to our children why we do what we do, why we say what we say. And we have to let them know from the time they're very young, hey, we don't sit up at night after you go to bed, your mom and I wringing our hands thinking about how we can let, make your life miserable. You know, that's not it. We, who just said that? Who said, yes, we do? No, we don't. <laughs> No, we don't. Stick with it. This is on live television, Kent. Uh, but sometimes we just don't explain the truth to our kids, but we have to often back up and explain to them the why. And it's not a because I said so. And you get no less than six times in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that Paul has to tell the church, hey, here's what we're doing when we bring the gospel to you. Here's what we're doing, and we want to make this very clear. He, he has to talk about the fact that we're not bringing it to you in error or with impure motives. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. And I just think about the dad who's in here right now, that you were brought here today as part of your gift. <laughs> I always think about, hey, dad, happy Father's Day, we're taking you to church, and you haven't been to church in a very long time. And you walk in here, and I, I get it. You are questioning the motives of this church. Why the games? Why the hot dogs? Why the coffee, hot coffee, iced coffee? Why, what's going on? And, and you can begin to think through our motives and be, begin, begin to go, okay, is there a bait and switch going on here? And I'm here to tell you, no. There's not a bait or switch. And we're not coming to you with motives, okay. And then we just took an offering and you're like, oh, there it is there. 
They give you a hot dog and they want to check. It say, they say free coffee, ain't nothing free about it. Please hear me. We want nothing from you. We want something for you. We're not here to trick you. We're not coming at you with air. We want to present the gospel as clearly as we can, but understanding that there are those who receive it and there will be those who question it. And that's why Paul has to share this with the church at Thessalonica. He says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again, that your sins can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to your heavenly father, become part of the family of God, know that heaven is your home and know your place in the kingdom of God. That is the message. That is the message, entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. Verse five, you know we never use flattery. We weren't trying to impress, nor did we put a mask on to cover up greed. We're not doing this to make money. We're not doing this to get something from you. We're not doing this to line our pockets. That's not the purpose of this at all. He's saying God is our witness to this. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have in here asserted our authority. And he's saying, while we were with you, we came to you like a mother who cares for her children. And a mom, right, is selfless. A mom provides for her children, gives something to her children and isn't getting anything in return. She's provide, he said, this is how we came. We could have asserted our authority and demanded that you pay us and take care of our physical needs while we're here, but we didn't do that. That's not the approach that we took. We didn't want something from you. We wanted something for you. And we teach this at Woodland Hills, the idea of asserting authority. We would use the word control. And we know that parenting is a journey from control to influence. Okay, you will be, be a parent until you draw your last breath, but you will be parenting for a very short season. I'm entering into the season and I'm already in the season of influence. Who here has children under the age of five? Let me just see you. Raise your hand over here, whoever got, we got going on right there. <laughs> and where's under five over here? Yeah, under five. Most control you'll ever have. It's face to face, go to your room, brush your teeth, make your bed, get dressed, get in the car. It's control, you're asserting authority. But guess what? With every day, every week, every month, every year of that child's life, you're losing control. And we say here at this church, we hope to, to replace the loss of control with influence. I wanna, have, I wanna be a voice of influence in the life of my child. And that is moving from face to face to shoulder to shoulder. And that's what he says. Watch this great outline he gives us. He goes, that's not at all how we came to you forcing our way and trying to trick you and deceive you with the gospel message. No, our approach, and this is a great outline for every single dad in the place. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How does a father deal with his own children? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God journey from control to influence. My son's been driving now for three weeks on his own. He got his license. While I was teaching him the last year and every year up till then, I was in complete control. I got in the passenger seat teaching him to drive. 
I don't have as much control because I got no foot pedals. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I got no steering wheel, but I got a hand on the parking brake. Everybody knows what I'm talking about there. I'm ready at a moment's notice, but I don't have as much control. He got his license on June 3rd, and I lost all control. I'm not in the car with him anymore. You're like, you still have a little control, you take the keys. Yeah, put that aside for a second. But he's now getting in the car and taking out of the driveway by himself, and I still want influence. When he comes back home, and I, I, I want to be encouraging, comforting, and still urging. Hey, how did it go? It's, if you want to be a, a voice of influence, right? Ask questions more than make demands. And I, hey, how'd it go? Do you deal with any drivers today? Because I've been trying to teach him, you know, I know the turn lane. No one in Branson pays attention to a double yellow line. <laughs> Nobody does. And I know when it breaks up there, that's the turn lane, but they start lining up a half a mile back, especially up there at that one turn by the, by the fire station. It drives me insane. You have to, you have to watch because they're going to hit you from behind and act like it's your fault. So be very careful. Anything happened in that today? No, everything was good. How about the roundabouts? We have any issue on the roundabouts? Because about 50% of people know how to use roundabouts. You do anything. And I'm asking questions and he's able to share with me. And then I'm able to share with him. Think about this in, in the home when it comes to your child's faith encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. I, I want to encourage, comfort, and urge. I can't control. One of the greatest mistakes we make as parents is treating our children like children right up until the very moment we expect them to be an adult. And this is why when a lot of kids leave home after being controlled, I mean heavily controlled for 18, 20 years, they get out and they lose their minds because they don't know how to deal with life when it comes at them. That, but if we have a place of influence, right? I want my kids to see, and this is why I'm going to continue to encourage and comfort them and urge them with, your heavenly father loves you. Jesus died for you, right? Heaven is your home. You can, you're part of the family of God. Know your place in the kingdom of God. And this is what, this is what Paul is doing, who calls you into his kingdom and that you would live a life worthy of bringing glory to him. And here's the original language behind this outline, to call to one's side. That is influence, right? The control season is face-to-face -face and going at your kid and right in their face, telling them what to do. And the parenting journey, you're moving from that face-to-face, in-your-face, get-to-your-room, say you're sorry to your brother right now. That's control. But what influence is doing, seeking influence is done best, calling to one side, shoulder to shoulder. Walking alongside them in life. In Ephesians 6.4, the paraphrase of the message we read, fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Walking alongside our kids, encouraging them, comforting them, urging them, and this is influence, and I'm convinced it's influence that can last a lifetime. If you've been wondering, why, are our, why is our family so tense at these family gatherings, and all your kids are grown, and they come home with their spouses and their children, maybe it's because you're still trying to live in a season of control, when really you should be moved into, way moved into by now, a season of influence, where you're just encouraging, comforting, 
and urging. Dad, we really want to get this today, and this is, I think, Paul's heart. The presence and participation of the Father changes everything. It changes everything. You're not, I, I don't, I'm not a perfect dad, but staying involved, staying in the trenches, when they go through difficult seasons, that's when I press in and lean in even more because I want them to know this is your heavenly father. When you go through difficult seasons and stages of life, your heavenly father is there. He's not going anywhere. He loves you. He has your best in mind. He cares for you. I think sometimes we think the only way we can encourage a child or comfort a child or urge a child is by saying the words, I'm proud of you. There's far more that we can say to our kids. I love you. I'm there for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. Let me know if you need anything. What can I do to help you? And that presence and participation, that also is the brushstrokes that are painting a picture of God for each of your children. A.W. Tozer put it this way, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing about you is the picture of God that you have and what you think about when you think about God. Pastor Louis Giglio, uh, years ago, I heard him at a conference share all of these pictures of God. And it was one of those talks where I just, I memorized it the first time I heard it because I saw for myself and in my own life pictures of the heavenly father that I had. And he listed them. And I think this is, this is why Joe White is so effective in communicating because Louis actually had an artist on stage painting each of the pictures of God I'm going to share with you right now. And it just, it went into my brain and it never left. And I, 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 I had some course correction. There was some uh, recalibrating I needed, needed to do in my own life with my own understanding of my heavenly father. Not, not just from a theological perspective in studying the Bible, but in a daily walk in relationship with him. The first picture that he painted was the distant God. Some of you have this picture of God that he's not one that's there for you. He's not walking with you. He's not close. Some of you would even add he's distant and angry. He's mad at you all the time. And I, I want you to see how that picture was painted for you, maybe from the way your dad was present or absent in the home, how he participated or maybe neglected you in the home. And so it just painted this idea for you that God is distant. He's not one to be in relationship with. But then others of you, great relationship with dad, great relationship with grandparents, and you have a picture of God that he's grandpa God. And you have no problem jumping up in his lap and snuggling. This is your walk with the Lord. This is, you see him as very warm, very receptive, very inviting. You see him lighting up when he sees you coming. Because isn't that a grandpa? Others in here have the picture of the stained glass God. That if you want to be with God, you have to go somewhere. There's a building that you have to be in. And I want to remind you of our theology here. The, the, the church is not a building. The church is the family of God. The church is not a day of the week. So God is not someone you meet with once a week 
and in a certain location. He's one that walks with you and talks with you. I'm singing a hymn right now, ain't I? Uh, all along the way, you get what we're saying. But you just had this view, and that's why for many, going to church is so important because that's where I go and have my relationship with God. This is a picture that was painted for you. Others, it gets a little bit more tangible. You would see God as on-star God. That you really only hit the button and that blue button is prayer. And really the only time I talk to my heavenly father is when I need direction in life. When I'm going through a difficult season or stage, when I'm needing some understanding, do I accept this uh, invitation to college? Do I, do I receive this proposal? Do I make a proposal? And that's when you're pressing the button seeking God more than ever. For others, the picture of God is ATM God. You really only go to him when you need something. And maybe that was your dad growing up. You didn't have a real relationship with him, but you knew his wallet was always open. And when you needed something, you could go to him. And a lot of times giving you something got you off his back. So you have an ATM God. I kind of grew up with this picture of God, scorekeeper God. That based on how I behaved and what I did determined his love for me. I didn't get that from my parents, but I did get that from the church that I grew up in. And I'm going to tell you, this picture of God, there are many of you at Woodland Hills Family Church that have this picture. Because I hear it, it comes out, it's subtle. Hey, I hope the good Lord lets me in. And every time I hear that, I think scorekeeper God, and I'm crushed because I want you to understand, you're not going to draw your last breath, stand before the Lord, and this, there's this ginormous scale. And all of your good stuff is on this side, and all of your bad stuff is on this side. And you're just hoping the good outweighs the bad. That is is not the gospel. It's not the gospel, right? I don't care. You can be all, nothing but good. Guess what? None of your works, good works, the absence of bad works, none of that brings you into a right relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus brings you into a right relationship with the heavenly father. For it is by grace you are saved through faith it's not of works. But some of you have this scorekeeper God because adults related to you in such a way that they leaned into you, they held you, they enjoyed you more when you were behaving. When you weren't behaving, you're like, do they love me? Do they even care to be around me? I read a, a great article this week from a staff member at Campus Crusade. And, and it, it was, I was kind of reading multiple articles and it was the same that this lady was talking about how her dad was just like a protector and cared for her. She's been on staff at Campus Crusade for over 20 years. And he was always there, always protecting her. And I just had this vision in my mind. It's the dad I want to be. I, 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 Fonzie, I put that up there. But I really, most days, I feel like Liam Neeson. I'm just going to be 100% uh, honest with you. I'm ready at a moment's notice. I'm the protector. I'm not just a provider. I'm there. And you know every dad has those moments where you're like, man, I hope something, you know, goes down right now. I want to show my family I got it. And I miss my opportunity. I fly a lot. But I got a, a friend of mine texted me this because I heard about it. Did anybody hear uh, about the emergency landing in Oklahoma City? Did you guys see that on the news? Some guy, 
lost it on a commercial flight and stormed. He went, first of all, he walked on the plane with a helmet, elbow pads, and knee pads. Maybe that was the first sign they should have looked at uh, with it. Stormed the front. Like, I mean, went to the front and was trying to get in. It was causing a ruckus. And I'm just here to tell you, I've been waiting for this announcement on an airplane my whole life. I'm 47. And that I wasn't on this plane frustrates me. But this is what the pilot said. This is your captain speaking. We'd like all strong males to the front of the aircraft to handle a problem passenger. This is my, this is it. Here we go, right, that's me. I was ready for it, but I, I'm glad, I would have had to been traveling alone. Amy'd be like, just sit down. <laughs> you see all those other guys that went up there? Cause I know there's 20 or 30 guys going absolutely not. I had to love what my friend said after he sent me that exact quote. He said, yeah, there was no gender confusion at all on this one. <laughs> Right? Because we still need men and dads who are present and participating and ready to take out any threat to the family. Okay, now, that lady didn't say any of this in her article that she wrote for Campus Crusade. But that's where I was at while I was reading it. I think I just described for you, and I think this would be fair to say, that's her picture of her dad. I never had to question whether my dad was going to protect us provide for us or care for us. Never once did I ever have to question that. She said, but I did, I never really heard I love you, never got affection. Tune in here for just a second, Dad. This is so important. She said, so I got God as protector. I got God as provider. I got a heavenly father who was there any moment I needed him. What I didn't get and couldn't really relate to. So this picture of God is our steps and our days. She goes, what I couldn't really relate to was this father in heaven who lavishes his love on his children. That part I couldn't get. She makes this one statement, what she wrote. Our earthly fathers, whether affectionate and loving unpredictable and violent, absent or even non-existent, affect in almost an intrinsic way how we perceive our Father in heaven and his feelings toward us. And let me be just crystal clear for the one whose father was absent or non-existent. Psalm 68 verse 5 says, he is the father to the fatherless. You have a heavenly father who loves you, who's for you, who's not going anywhere, sent his son to die for you so that you could be part of his family and could be reconciled in a relationship with him. Uh, marriage and family therapist that I deeply respect, Norman Wright, he, he does a lot of work with couples, a lot of work with individuals, a therapist who helps people deal with the father wound, that absent or missing Father and what it, it creates, and, and, and think about this when you're getting married, and what it takes into your marriage, into your family of origin. Does a great job with this. Uh, two books that I recommend. One, he has a book called Healing for the Father Wound. It, it, maybe you don't see the parallel here, but if, you, if you're struggling in a marriage right now, or maybe new in marriage and don't understand some of the things going on, you know that there's some situation that maybe your husband or your wife, there was some father wound issues to deal with. I, I can't encourage this enough, but he also wrote a great little book called Always Daddy's Girl. And in this book, 
he paints the picture of the earthly dad and then how that can begin to shape for us our view of God. And I'm going to just give you a few of them. I can't, a lot of them, but this is kind of a summary of what he shares in Always Daddy's Girl. If your father was a pushy man who was inconsiderate of you or who violated and used you, you may see God in the same way. You probably feel cheap or worthless in God's eyes and perhaps feel that you deserve to be taken advantage of by others. If your father was like a drill sergeant demanding more and more from you with no expression of satisfaction or burning with anger with no tolerance for mistakes, you may have cast God in your earthly dad's image. If your father was a weakling and you couldn't depend on him to help you or defend you, your image of God may be that of a weakling. You may feel that you are unworthy of God's comfort and support or that he is unable to help you. I think a lot of people can relate to this next one. If your father was overly critical and constantly came down hard on you or if he didn't believe in you or your capabilities and discouraged you from trying, you may perceive God in the same way. You don't feel as if you're worth God's respect or trust. But if your father was patient, you're more likely to see God as patient and available for you. You feel that you are worth God's time and concern. If your father was a giving man, you may perceive God as someone who gives to you and supports you. You feel that you are worth God's support and encouragement. If your father accepted you, you tend to see God accepting you regardless of what you do. If he protected you, you probably perceive God as your protector in life. Dad, we have an important role to play, and it, and it starts with our presence and our participation. Just keep in mind, it's not perfection, but it's the reflection that we're giving to our children each and every day. It, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example. We've talked a lot about the example that obviously we're setting as dads, but let's not forget the rest of this. As I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Walk with me. Come shoulder to shoulder with me as I walk with the Savior. When I make mistakes, we're going to the Savior. I'm going to confess my sin before my Father in heaven, thankful for the forgiveness, and I'm also going to confess that to my children. Walking alongside, follow my example as I am still growing. And I think about this often. We had a great family conversation last night. My kids have some pretty strong opinions right now in life. And that's what you get when your kids are becoming adults. And we got into a pretty heated uh, uh, political conversation. And, and I, man, I felt myself bowing up and going, you know, because I live with this constant thought, my opinions are 99.9% .9 correct. <laughs> Raise your hand, dad, if that's you. And they just, just, just shut up and listen to me for just two seconds. And once I clearly lay out the outline, you're going to be convinced. <laughs> well, they're not. And it kept going through my head, encouraging, comforting, and urging. Bowing up, shutting down, escalating. I want to hear their point of view. As we talked about this, I, I just felt like our, the influence of Ronald Reagan in our home was slipping. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm quoting Ronald Reagan. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Anyway, and you're like, what were you talking about? That's for me to keep hidden in our home. But, you know, it all comes down to this. Everyone in our family desires to follow Christ. And as a dad, being the reflection... I want to be an example, but I'm leaning 
on Christ in that relationship. I want to end by quoting theologian Rodney Atkins. Because <laughs> we, we teach at our church, right? Our children are watching, they're listening, they remember, and they repeat. My children are watching me. Even more than that, my children know me. My children know me way better than you do. They're watching, they're listening, they're remembering and repeating. And I think Rodney Atkins, theologian Rodney Atkins, sums this up the best. <laughs> Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word. It started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where did you learn to talk like that? Dad, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike, Dad, ain't we? Cool, I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. But I want you to see the power of example. I just love this song because it's country music. Um, <laughs> we got back home. I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. Said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed, he got down on his knees, closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where did you learn to pray like that? And we end just as we started this morning. Teach your children. But more, and more than just teaching, be present, be involved, participate, right? Be that reflection that shows them God loves you, He's fighting for you. He's there for you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you that you can have a relationship with him. Would you pray with me? Father, it's in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this day. For the dad in here that uh, this is an opportunity for us to just be encouraged, uh, knowing there are no perfect fathers, but we are grateful that you are our perfect heavenly father. May we leave here today reflecting that in our home. For the dad who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today they would see this isn't a day of tricks, this isn't a day of impure motives or error, but it's a day where we're encouraging, comforting, and urging everyone to walk in a way that's worthy of you. And so I pray for their salvation, the one that's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead, that they will be saved. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said.